So you guys know we have been going through the Gospel of John this year. That's where we're going to be this morning as Marshall uh, takes us into that. So Marshall, like I said before, we love you. As your church family, we're excited to receive what God has put in you and let the Lord speak through you today. And we've got hungry, humble, open hearts, and we want to be good soil people that receive the word and that it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold in our lives. So we're open ears. We love you. And we're excited to receive. So here you go, my brother. All right. Well, it is really good to be here. Uh, honestly, I was, well, cause I was sick last week and this summer I was, I was sick like a month ago and missed two Sundays. And then we've been out of town some, we had the building AC went out. So we did house church. So it's like, I feel like we haven't been here that much this summer. We've missed a lot of Sundays. So more than even just preaching, I just like glad to be here this morning. Glad to be in worship. Wasn't worship so good? It's good because this is what we were made to do. And I, I hope as I preach that we're just going to keep worshiping. Like, I'd rather just go back there and, and actually sing instead of be preaching. But man, I just want to draw your attention to Jesus. That even though I'm preaching right now, that we're still fixing our eyes on Jesus. Almost, I wish it was like his face up here instead of mine. Uh, but we're still just believing the Holy Spirit's present right now. That even as we preach, this is still a worship service. That as I preach, it's going to be a time of worshiping Jesus, fixing our eyes on him. Uh, like Zach said, we've, we've been here for, I guess, yeah, seven years, a little over seven years. We got married in 2015, like you said, right after we graduated college. So to have spent our, basically our whole adult lives as a part of this church just makes me really grateful and honestly really honored to be able to preach with you guys because this church this, this has been like a family for us. We didn't, we didn't exactly want to move to Dallas. She got into grad school at UT Dallas. That's what brought us here. Um, but this church, this family has made Dallas so sweet. And this church has been our favorite part of our lives for these past seven years, getting to walk through those first days of marriage, uh, those first jobs, 911. I didn't go to school to go to 911. It was just, I needed a job. We had no money. People were helping us when we didn't have money. Like without us asking, the church was, our life group was supporting us, taking care of needs. We've we have two kids now. We've, we've, we've become parents. Uh, one's in the womb. We've got a baby girl who's due later this fall. And our firstborn son, Declan, he's uh, almost two. He's in the kids' ministry right now. So we've just been through a lot of life with this family. And I'm just really, really thankful to be here with you guys as family. We're really grateful to have this church as a family. So if you're new here, you're looking for a place to belong. You're looking for a church. I just want to tell you you're in the right place. Um, being a part of the local church has, has saved my life, as I'll share about later. Uh, but like Zach said, we're, we're going through a series in John chapter 9. And Zach first asked me to preach uh, in John chapter 9 and share my testimony. You know, I was like, okay, I went and looked at John chapter 9. I was like, okay, that's a cool story. I don't really know what I'm going to say. You know, and as I've been preparing to preach for the first time, if I could just kind of peel the curtain back a little bit, what that was like. Obviously, there's the temptation I've, I felt of like, okay, let me read this and find out how do I make some cool points? Like, how do I make a cool sermon? How do I sound like a really good teacher so that you guys would think I'm something? You know, that this would be a chance to like prove myself and to find some type of approval from you guys or, or, or some type of affirmation to feel good about myself based on how y'all thought I did. Or at the very least, to not embarrass myself. Like there's that temptation. I think we all feel that in ways but I got to say more than anything, as Zach shared, that we believe this is a living and active word. And as I sat in John chapter nine, preparing to preach more than any kind of anxiety or nervousness I felt, I've just been brought back to that simple reminder of how good God is and how he is really speaking to us. Unlike any other book with words written on a page, 
that this scripture really is living and active. It's been touching my heart. It's been changing the way I think and believe as I've sat in this story. And if there's like anything you could take, like if, if you just got that reminder, that inspiration to just go and sit in the living word to meet with God every single day, like that's what I want, you know, for you guys, even more than what I have to say. We could stop this service now. You could just go home and read John 9 and believe that the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal who God is to you. So we could just take a moment to savor the fact that the God of the universe who created me, who created you, he's given us such access that it was God's idea to preserve the Bible, to make this. Like, because he wants us to have access to know him. And so as I've been preparing for this Sunday, I'm just really excited because I've been ministered to by the Lord as I've sat in his scriptures. He's been just showing me Jesus in a fresh way. And I've been praying this prayer uh, from Ephesians 1. This is a prayer that Paul prays. This is what I've been praying for this service. Um, that He says that the God would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you would know him better. It's on God's heart for us to know him better. Holy Spirit, revealing us who God is. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he has called you, the rich of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And so that's my hope today, that we just look to Jesus and there's this greater revelation of who he is, that there's power that God wants to speak to us right now. And that's actually John's goal. If you look in uh, John chapter 20, you know, we, are, we said our, our goal for this year as a church was to encounter Jesus. And so we're going through the gospel of John, looking at the scriptures there. Uh, and it's a great choice to go through John because that's why John says he wrote his gospel. This is God's word, but he inspired John to write this. And John says this at the end of the gospel, in John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says that I wrote this gospel and everything I've included in here, this story we're gonna read today where Jesus performed one of these signs, it's written to stir up belief. Belief that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is who he said he is, he is the Son of God, and that by believing, we find life in him the thing we're longing for, the thing we're looking for to satisfy us, we find life in him. And so we're gonna encounter Jesus today as we've been focusing on all year that that's where life really is. So if you pull out your Bible, we're gonna be in John chapter nine. Be helpful to read along. We're actually gonna read through this whole story, um, but it's, it's, it's a fun read. It's an interesting story. Um, it's kind of split into three different parts. And you'll see here, we, we already mentioned this, this miracle that's going to happen, but then the focus kind of gets shifted away from the miracle. It seems like kind of a weird story in some ways. But uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, that you can check the seat baskets underneath the seats in front of you. And there's a Bible there. Uh, if you're on that one, it's page 869 is where we're going to be. Uh, and also as a reminder, if you don't own a Bible at all, then these are here as a gift to you from our church. You can actually take one of these Bibles home because we just want everybody to be able to meet with God every single day in his word. But here we go. John chapter nine, verse one, talking about Jesus. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? So Jesus said 
neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So a couple things to point out here in this first section. Um, first, we see here in this miracle, when they meet this blind man who's been blind his whole life, before Jesus says anything, you see his disciples ask him a question. And there's a glaring assumption in their question that who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. You see, the disciples, like most of the Jews in Jesus' day, they kind of had this worldview that bad things happen. Something like this, a disability, a sickness, some type of hardship or suffering it happens must be because of this man's sin, that God is fair, right? God says in his laws, if you obey my commands, if you kind of do life the way he's laid it out in his Old Testament, that there's going to be blessing, that life's going to go good for you. And that if you go against God's ways, that sometimes there, there are punishments, there are natural consequences that God will allow. And so they assume it must kind of be like this ratio. Okay, well, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. This is kind of how God works. We're all trying to just be right, do the right thing. And so because this has happened, it must be either him or his parents that have sinned. And, and the, the problem with that is that that worldview, that kind of oversimplification has caused a lot of the Jewish people just to measure each other by how they perform, by how they look. People have become harsh critics of each other, seeing each other with calloused hearts. It's caused them to look at this man and to only see his blindness and attributed that to some type of failure or misfortune. But you see, Jesus responds, and he kind of denies some type of universal principle that all suffering or all sickness can be attributed to some type of sin. See, Jesus is calling us to a higher perspective. He said, it's not that this man or his parents sinned, but this has happened. God has allowed this thing to happen so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, Jesus is calling us to not look at life through the lens of man's experience as though the universe revolved around mankind and our pursuit of happiness and comfort and pleasure, our experience on earth. Jesus is calling us to see this man, to see all things in life through the lens of the center of the universe being God, what God is trying to do, how we're all written into this grand narrative God is writing where he's trying to display his power and his goodness and his beauty. And Jesus says, he makes this statement. He says, I am the light of the world. This is actually the second time Jesus makes this statement. He made it previously in John chapter 8. 
in verse 12, he first made that statement in that one of those I am statements where he's literally invoking the name of God, that God spoke to Moses back in Exodus 3 when Moses asked God for his name. God said, I am who I am. Jesus is literally claiming to be God. In chapter 8, he says this in verse 12. He says, when Jesus was speaking to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying that light and life are in me. And also he's saying that you're in darkness, that I'm stepping in to the world you're living in. And the world you're living in is full of darkness. And so he says that in chapter eight, but I think he says it again here in chapter nine, because now Jesus isn't just saying this. Jesus is about to demonstrate what is the light of the world like. He's about to show and prove just how the light shines in the darkness. When he heals this man, he is showing himself to be like God. Which brings us to the next thing in this first section. Kind of the funny question that if you've read the Bible, you've seen Jesus heal people just by saying a word and instantly they're healed. And so I don't know what the blind man was thinking, but you kind of have to wonder if there was a moment when Jesus put his like dirty spit on his eyes, if the dude was like a little confused or frustrated with Jesus. Like what is happening right here? It's kind of a, I don't know why Jesus heals them this way, there's a lot of ways that Jesus heals people in the Bible. Um, and I don't know for sure. I don't think we can say with 100% confidence why Jesus does it this way. It is pretty weird. Um, but if we remember what John said in chapter 20, that these are signs. These miracles aren't just events in and of themselves. It's, it's not just a physical healing of the blind man that John is writing about. A sign is trying to show us something greater. It's trying to give us a greater reality, show us a picture. There's often a lot of symbolism in the miracles that Jesus performs. And so if we look at some of that symbolism, I think we can maybe draw some guesses or some conclusions about what John is trying to show us about Jesus here. And first and foremost, something really specific. Actually, I went back and listened to Jamie Miller's talk uh, last week, and he, he showed us John 1. If you look at that, John 1, verse 1, John writing his gospel uh, in a unique way than some of the other Gospels. It seems almost like, a, when I read John's Gospel, it's, I, I think of it like a painting with a lot of vivid colors of Jesus, trying to show us all these different aspects of Jesus. You get a lot more of Jesus' words and dialogue uh, in these seven I am statements that he's making. It's really beautiful, but first and foremost, he's trying to show us how Jesus is God, like he claimed to be, but also that he, he really was a human that was born, that lived, that walked, that died on this earth, just like you and me, a human being, but also unique, the one of a kind that he actually was God from the beginning, that he's an eternal being, the one true living God. So John 1, John writes about Jesus saying, in the beginning was the word, which is Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see that the way Jamie described kind of the Greek language there is that Jesus is God, like God the Father, like the Holy Spirit, that they are one and the same, even though they're three distinct people, that they are one, like their faces are turned towards each other here is the way they're describing that they're with each other. That Jesus, all the way back in the beginning, in the creation of life, that Jesus was there. And so in the beginning 
what do we see about how God was creating life? Genesis chapter two, all the way back to the creation of the first human, Adam, first, first of mankind, it says that God created him out of the dust of the earth. He formed man out of the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So in the beginning, God the Father was showing his sovereign power over all of creation and all of life by making man out of dirt and with his mouth, with the dust of the earth and breathing life into the man. And so if we keep that in mind, we see this sign here in John 9 where Jesus is like he's telegraphing. He's like he's recreating the same imagery to show that I am that same God from the beginning, that I have sovereign power over all of life, that I created you and I have the power to heal your body with the dirt of the earth and with his mouth, making mud with his saliva, putting it on the man. And another interesting thing in the way he choose to heal this man is that there's, a, there's kind of a part two to this healing. There's a bit of a test of faith by the blind man because like he could have just had that like mud spit stuff on his eyes and gotten really frustrated, concerned and been like, well, I'm, this, is, this is a bad day. I'm gonna go home. You know, like he could have just left there. But no, actually there's a faith in this man to respond to Jesus and say, okay, I'm gonna go to this pool and wash. And what happens here. Uh, I think if there's a little bit of symbolism. It's almost like we're watching a baptism happen. Because he goes, he tells this man to wash in a pool where the name means sent. After Jesus had just said, we must do the works of him who sent me. That I've been sent from heaven for this very reason. And so go and wash in sent. Go wash in me. And as a blind man goes under the water, it's like he comes up a brand new person, like the Holy Spirit imparting this faith to him to go and to be a part of this healing that Jesus is doing in his life. It's like he comes up cleansed. Like he can see now. He's not only physically a new man, but it it, it looks like almost spiritually he's a new man. So I don't know for sure, but I just see there's so much symbolism here in this sign that's trying to show us a beautiful picture of Jesus. It's trying to show us the intentionality that Jesus came with, the way that he lived his life. That there's, when you read throughout the Gospels, throughout all of the Bible, there's so many vivid pictures and words and things that are being used, all this symbol, symbolism that's showing us this very intentional story God has written from the beginning of time until the end, and that he's faithful to carry it out unto completion, and that Jesus is kind of the center point of this great work, revealing who God is here. And then this man, we read this man then becomes like a sent one as he starts to testify to what Jesus has done. Let's keep reading here. Verse 13. So then they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. And they still did not believe that he had been the man blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? 
How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So a second time. They summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, what did he do to, to you? What did he do to open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. This is where this story gets really kind of interesting for me because we just took time to marvel at this thing that's happened. That Jesus just healed a man who had been blind his whole life, something that's never happened before. And instead of everyone marveling at that, you see the real issue that Jesus came for. You see what I think is the main point of this story that there's all this bickering and this arguing, and then there's this fear and this anger that's welling up inside of these people, that they're missing the beauty of what God did because of a spiritual blindness that's over all of them. You see, there's one man that we read about in this story that's physically blind, though most of the characters we encounter here are suffering something much worse. They're suffering a spiritual blindness that's over their hearts and over their minds. It's caused the Pharisees to be so caught up in legalistic ways, trying to ascend some man-made mountain to God, that they're offended by Jesus, claiming to be God, performing work on the Sabbath, healing people. They're missing God's heart because they're too caught up following traditions and laws in a religious hardening of their hearts that's just deceived them. You see, a second type of blindness in the parents, that even though their son his life was just changed in a moment. I mean, think about the suffering that parents would have probably experienced, that this would have been hard on them as well and would have broken their hearts to raise a son who had been blind. That would have been much, much harder on them as well. Yet even what Jesus did, it wasn't enough for them to experience a heart change, that there's a fear of man that's caused them to miss God. It's actually what Jesus said in John chapter 5. He's, he's addressing some Pharisees, and he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from man as opposed to the glory from God? That people have gotten led astray by this desire to find approval from other people, by the desire to find their identity measured by what others think of them, and it's caused them to care about the one person that really loves them, the one person where they can find the love, the affirmation, 
that they need. It's caused them to miss God, and they're afraid now to associate with Jesus because they don't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. They don't want to become social outcasts from their religious leaders and considered social outcasts by their peers. And that's also led them to, in some ways, disassociate from their son and the life-changing story that he's now telling. So you see fear, you see pride, you see legalism, all these things that are at work where people are just, they've, they've become ignorant of what God is trying to show us because they've just been led astray and because there's a spiritual blindness that's over them. You see, I remember what it was like to be spiritually blind. I remember it really well. I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't grow up in a religious or spiritual household. Like I, I don't think my, I ever heard my parents say God, say Jesus, talk about the Bible, like literally never talked about. Um, I grew up in the west side of Fort Worth. So I grew up in the Bible Belt, but I was still like pretty oblivious to the things of God, pretty oblivious to the Bible. I honestly thought Jesus, like he died on a cross. That's kind of what I know. I don't know what sin is. Like to me, that was the equivalent of a fairy tale. You could have been telling me about Robin Hood or something. And it's like the equivalent of Jesus dying on the cross. I just had, I was really ignorant of the things of God. And all I was shown growing up was just what I could see in the world. And as I grew up in that home, it wasn't just a spiritual blindness. There was a lot of pain that I experienced from my parents. So I, I just grew up thinking that they don't really care about me. I can't trust them. There was a lot of hurt and sadness in my heart that caused me to be really angry and bitter. It caused me to want to just hate my parents. And even though while I was living in the, under their house and they were providing for my basic needs, it was like there was no relationship anymore. And I kind of just accepted that. And it would be really easy to go days without talking to my parents, even while living in their home. I'd try to spend all my time outside of my house, right? Playing sports, doing stuff with friends. But that bitterness in my heart towards my parents, it caused me to be really bitter towards all people. I started to only see people through the lens of their faults with a critical eye. I started to think that relationships and people in general, they just leave you wanting more. You can't trust other people to care for you. You have to take care of yourself. And so I thought, I'm better off on my own. I'm better off not needing other people. I'm better off as a, as a black sheep, as an outcast. And so that caused me to start to turn from some of my friends and start to just really isolate myself. And so then as I'm spending a lot of time at home alone, I'm just filling my time addicted to TV, to video games, to pornography, anything I could do to escape the pain that was around me. And as I kind of adopted this kind of black sheep mentality, I started looking at everything else that was happening around me what all the other high schoolers around me were chasing after. And it just caused me to have a distaste for anything that anybody thought was worthwhile. Uh, the things that they were chasing after, they thought, they thought would make them happy, that they thought would make their lives great. I just, I didn't have a desire for that. It just seemed empty and meaningless to me because I've been seeing what the world was showing me and it was leaving me longing for something more. <laughs> I remember summers, it was like, I graduated high school 2010. So at some point in the middle of high school, it was like Transformers came out and it was like Shia LaBeouf, just life has changed because the Transformers showed up. And I remember just like being so bored and alone during the summers. I was just wishing like a Transformer would fall from the sky and I'd be swooped up into some cool story. Or I thought as I'm coming to my senior year of high school, I thought, man, it would be awesome to just go and be in the military. Like I just want to go to war and fight and do something worthwhile. I was longing for some type of greater purpose or meaning because I wasn't finding it in people. I wasn't finding it in relationships and in love. I had been chasing girls and that didn't typically work out very well, mostly because of my fault. And so I thought, well, there's something better out there. There's something cool to be a part of. There's something else to life. And I remember 
sitting in my room, my senior year of high school, as a 17-year-old, and I'm trying to figure out, man, college is right around the corner. I'm supposed to be figuring out what to do next. But to figure out where to go to college, I'm thinking about what am I supposed to major in, which is what type of job do I want to have? And really all I've learned is a job is just a means to an end to make money so that you could establish yourself. You chase this American dream where you have a lot of money, you have a lot of things. Maybe you have a family, you own a nice home. You just really make something of yourself with what the world has to offer. But all that is really leading into retirement. And that's like the glory days where you're kind of done with the means to an end. You're done with work. You've earned enough that you can just go do whatever you want. This is like the prime of your life. But then as a 17-year-old, I'm thinking, well, you're kind of just old then. You're past the prime of your life. Like you spend all that time and now you're just kind of riding out your last days without a lot to do other than whatever makes you happy until you die. And I remember sitting in my room thinking about death. I remember if you just close your eyes, this is a vivid memory I have with my eyes closed, trying to imagine what it was like to be dead, to not exist anymore. What would it be like to not be conscious? What would it be like to be dead and buried in the ground? That's all I thought happened. There's nothing else after this life. This is it. I had no concept of God or eternity. And I tried to think all the possessions, all the money, everything I have accumulated, it's gone. I don't have it anymore. All the people that I knew that liked me or loved me, Eventually, they'll all die. I'll be forgotten. No matter what I accomplished, no matter you know, what type of legacy I'm leaving behind, eventually, life keeps, keeps going on. You can open your eyes. And I remember thinking, my life is like, if I live a long time, 70, 80, 90 years, but I know for history, the earth has been on thousands of years. It's probably gonna go on right up past me. And so my life is basically led up to this one moment where I'm dead in the ground and life just keeps going right along, passes me by. And I remember thinking about that. I could not think about life and death as I was wrestling with meaning and trying to find purpose and truth. Like, what am I chasing after? What am I longing for? I could not think about death. And in that place of sitting in my room, I don't remember a lot from my younger years, but I have vivid memories of that type of hopelessness, that type of brokenness was well acquainted with my own faults, ways I had hurt people, what I had become. I hated who I was. I was well acquainted with all the things that I had looked to in the world that had left me empty. And I think that's the difference with this blind man. Why this miracle happened and we see a heart change in him, not just because he was blind. I mean, once again, think about his parents. You'd think that would be something that had changed their life, but it didn't. What was the difference with this blind man I think it was that he was well acquainted with his brokenness. He had been humbled by life without his choice. The things that other people around him were looking to, to find meaning, to prove themselves, he was never going to measure up in other people's eyes. He had looked at life and he had found that there's something else. There's got to be more. And it was the same thing that happened with me. And we see all throughout Scripture that that's a sign that God's working in your life, that God is pursuing those who would humble themselves. He wants to raise them up. That the sacrifices of God aren't religious offerings and traditions. It's a broken heart. 
That was the first thing that God was opening my eyes as a 17-year-old senior in high school. The first thing that I had to see was my own brokenness. The first thing that I had to see in this world was that there wasn't enough, that there was more to life. And the second thing, you want to know what the second thing that I saw was as God was opening my eyes in this season like this blind man? The second thing I saw was the light of the world. But I, I didn't know it was Jesus. I wasn't looking at him like a man face to face, like this blind man saw Jesus. But I was seeing a light in his sent ones. I was seeing a light in the Christians that I knew. See, I'd grown up with these Christian friends who were all from this one youth group, all from this one church in Fort Worth. Some of them I'd known since elementary school, middle school. For like years, we'd been through school together, but I'd kind of gone my separate way. I'd kind of distanced myself from people. And it was at the same time that I was most broken that God was showing me that there was something God was doing in their life, that there was a sense of urgency, that they had been walking with Jesus and seeing the darkness around them. And they started to initiate with me. They started to rekindle friendship. They started to pursue me, wanted to hang out with me, talking to me at school, inviting me to things. And I know I was a really difficult person. None of you know, like old Marshall, how really unsanctified I was. I didn't have a lot to offer for friendship. I'm sure I was really difficult to be around and love. But there was a light that they had seen that was in them. It was causing them to see my darkness. And it wasn't just them. You know, I'd go hang out their houses and their parents, their godly parents would love on me like a son, welcoming me into their family. Eventually, I thought, man, there's something different about these people. I knew they were Christians, but I, like I said, I didn't really know anything about Jesus. And as I looked at them, I just saw a difference on them. I saw a light on them, that there was a joy that they had, some type of meaning they had found in life that like, set them free. They were able to love people like, you know, high school when things are most clicky and you only talk to certain people. Not to, they were loving on everybody. They loved on me. There was something about their life that just seemed so attractive, even though I didn't know what it was. And it was the light of the world. You know that if you've become a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, he's put that light inside of you. The light that shines in the darkness. So John 1 says the darkness can't overcome. He said that you are to be the salt and light of the world. A city set on a hill for all to see. A lamp set on a stand to shine in the darkness. That that same Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus to do these things has anointed you. That same Holy Spirit is in each and every single one of you to shine like a light to those that are trapped in darkness around you. And I'm so thankful for my friends that they, they had eyes to see into my darkness. And I thought, man, I'll give this church thing a try. I started going to church with them. We started wrestling with the gospel, wrestling with the Bible, asking questions. And it was people at the church, pastors, other adults that were initiating in me. And I was experiencing a love that I had never known before. I was experiencing the love of God. I was seeing who Jesus really was because they were showing me through them. It was the, the love of the church that was opening my eyes to this light of the world. It was the gospel not only being preached to me, but being demonstrated to me in their love that was opening my eyes. And it was all the work of God. It wasn't just their idea. It was God pursuing me. It was Jesus stepping into my darkness to show me a light. I love what, the way that Paul phrases the gospel in Romans 5. This is something that I come back to on faith, not when I feel like God loves me, but when I need to hear it, 
the truth and just believe it in faith. It says this, that God demonstrates, this is Romans 5, 8, he demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for people who had it all together. He didn't die for us when we didn't need him. He died for each one of us when we were dead in our sin. He died for us in the midst of our rebellion and rejection from God because God didn't want us left in darkness. My father who created me wants me to know his love. He wants to bring me home. And so he sacrificed his son to die for me. As he says, since we have now been justified by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice on the cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Jesus took God's wrath. He took the punishment that we deserved. So that, for if while we were enemies, verse 10, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Through the resurrection of Jesus and the eternal life that he offers, having conquered our sin, conquered death, conquered the devil who is ruling this world. I saw in life what the devil wanted me to see before Jesus stepped into my darkness. It was only a few months that senior, that's all it took for me to see the brilliance of Jesus, to give my life to him. Which brings us to my favorite part of this story in John chapter nine, the end of this story, where we see the blind man. After Jesus heard that he had been kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus went and he found him. This is verse 35. So Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. So the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. You see here in this story that Jesus, he wasn't just after this man's betterment of life on earth, that he could see and he could go on his way and experience all that life might have for him that he felt he was being held out on. No, Jesus came for his heart. He came for an eternal life. He came to open our spiritual eyes that those who are blind would see a great light and no longer walk in darkness. And what happens is this man, he changes in this moment of the story. He changes from calling Jesus sir to calling him Lord. As the Holy Spirit stirs up faith to believe that this Jesus is the Messiah, that life is only found in him, that Jesus is God and he's come to show us his love. The worship team will come back up I just want us to close with seeing what the natural response of this belief is. It says that the man, he worshiped Jesus. He worshiped Jesus. This is the life and the destiny and the purpose that we've been created for. It's to see the love of God and be caused to worship him. To see Jesus for who he really is. It takes an act of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. And as we look at Jesus... As we step towards him in faith to believe, it's the darkness, it melts away. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And so I believe today that it's not just about 2,000 years ago what Jesus wanted to do, but today Jesus is a light right now in this room shining in darkness, and he's causing us to have faith by the power of his Holy Spirit. He's calling us to see him for who he really is. If you've never called Jesus Lord, if you've never repented of your sin and turned to Jesus with belief that he is the Messiah, he's the one who will save your life, then today is the day to make a choice. Not like the Pharisees, not like the parents to say blinded, trapped on the sideline, but to make a choice like this man to believe in Jesus. And so if you've never given your life to Jesus, if our prayer and prophetic team, our staff can come up to pray, we just want you to come and receive prayer. That's all it takes, just to cry out to Jesus to save you from this darkness. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then come receive prayer in a moment. We want to pray with you. We want to cry out to God with you. It's a free gift of his life that he gives. There's nothing you could do to earn it. You just have to ask for Jesus. Ask for faith to believe who he is. And even if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've been walking with him for years, but you feel like you're a heart, it's dull. The worship that happens from this man, it just feels like your affections get misplaced. It feels like you're just tired or weary or apathetic if your worship and your affection isn't vibrant and alive for Jesus. I believe the Holy Spirit, he wants you to see Jesus, not to fake it. He doesn't want you to just muster up worship to just force something. He wants you to see Jesus, and it's from the revelation of the beauty of Jesus. We see him when the Holy Spirit keeps opening our eyes that we worship him. I've been a Christian now for, I don't know, 12, 13 years, and I still need my eyes opened every day. It's easy to get distracted in the darkness around me, to get distracted with things, but I have to keep looking at Jesus. I have to keep turning to him, and I see with fresh eyes. I see more clearly. It puts everything else in perspective as we've shared. And so if you feel like you just need to see Jesus in a different way, we want you to receive prayer. If you want to live courageously like this blind man started to be a sent one for Jesus, if you want to be like a light in the world, but you find that you struggle to find boldness to step into the darkness of the lost people around you, like my friends did for me, then we want to pray for boldness. I want you guys to see who God has made you to be. I want you guys to see that you can shine like a light in the darkness. And the, I wasn't seeing Jesus himself. I was seeing Christians. I was seeing my friends. And there are people that are watching you. There are people that are seeing you and you're gonna be the Jesus that they see. You're gonna be the only light of the world that they interact with. And so if you just need boldness, if you want courage to live like that, I need it too. So we just wanna pray for you. So as the band leads us, I just wanna call us to worship Jesus, to cry out for faith, to believe him. And if you need healing, we believe Jesus doesn't just heal 2,000 years ago, that he can heal today by the power of his name. And we don't always know when that's gonna happen, but we wanna pray for you that you would be healed as well. That Jesus wants to heal our physical bodies and he wants to heal our hearts. So I just wanna pray now and just invite you to stand with me as we respond to Jesus. Lord, we love you. I thank you for the ways that you shine in the darkness. That your light, that your love is stronger than any pain, that we've experienced is stronger than any darkness that we felt trapped by. Would you help us to see you today, Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see Jesus? Would you see the love that's in his eyes burning for us? And I pray that you would make our hearts burn with that same love. That you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see your love and to love you in return. 
So let's worship, let's pray, let's cry out together. In Jesus' name, amen.